Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from DCD Rights Chief Executive Nikki Davies-Williams, Hattrick International Director of Sales Sarah Tong, and Bossanova Media Chief Executive Paul Heaney about the 2022 London screenings, its place alongside MIP TV and the value of UK programming on the global stage. The London Screenings has existed in some shape or form for more than a decade, but it was only in 2020 at the height of the pandemic that all three media international, Banerjee, Entertainment One, Fremantle and ITV Studios joined forces to prepare a formal event for 2021. While all five distributors had in previous years run individual buyer meetups, piggybacking off BBC Studios' annual sales extravaganza in Liverpool, COVID-19 meant a coordinated online rendezvous was the next best thing. But now, with the vaccine rollout and removal of travel restrictions, buyers from all around the globe are descending on London for this year's first physical event, with an array of smaller distributors also involved. DCD Rice Chief Executive Nikki Davies-Williams, Hattrick International Director of Sales Sarah Tong and Bossanova Media Chief Executive Paul Heaney spoke to me about getting back to in-person meetings, the place of the London screenings versus MIP TV and the value of UK programming on the global stage. Welcome everybody, thanks very much for joining us today. Uh, Paul, Sarah, Nikki, great to have you here. London screenings, it's, it's been around for a number of years, I guess, but um, it's only been sort of formalised as a, a virtual event last year. And, and this year, obviously, the first year that it's going to be a, a physical event. Zoom meetings have been good to us so far, but I guess you're all glad to be getting back in the room. Have they been good to us, Zoom meetings? Do we really think so? Oh, I think <laughs> Zoom's been really effective, but it'd be just wonderful to see real people again. And yeah. uh, I think there's going to be a good turnout. I don't know about you guys, but everything I've heard, it looks like a lot of Europeans coming over and a good spread of Americans as well. And some Aussies coming over as well, last minute as well, which is good. I think a sign that Australians are coming means that um, uh, the world has definitely woken up because, you know, with the most ludicrous restrictions they've had, because at the moment in an office in New South Wales, you have to wear a mask, uh, but you can go over to the pub across the road and take your mask off, which sounds a bit strange. So I think... (laughs) If they've managed to change the rules, then the world has really come back to normal. So I guess um, it, it's an interesting moment as well for, for all of you because uh, all three media, Banerjee, ITV Studios, Entertainment One, Fremantle, they were the, the founding partners of the screenings. But why is it the right time now You know, for, for sort of a swathe of smaller companies like yourselves to get involved, aside from the fact that obviously we're able to, uh, to meet up physically again? it's it's important for buyers to give them the best experience that we can for you know obviously the bigger companies have got a lot of content but we have also got really good quality high quality content that we that the buyers will want to see and and hear about what's coming up so it's 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 good to have the the whole spectrum of of distributors there so i think you know it's kind of it's been fantastic that we've all been able to, mostly, not everybody, but mostly have been able to collaborate as a group of distributors and coordinate all of our sessions so that those buyers are who are making the effort, especially the ones that are coming from all the way from Australia and the US, but that those buyers are going to get the best experience that they can, you know, so that they can see the full array of what content is coming out of the UK or the UK distribution market you know, over the course of a week. 
Yeah, I agree. I think I think the UK has been very collegiate, actually, and lockdown has sort of engendered that sense amongst distributors. And, and the quality coming out of the UK, I think it's time for even, we see ourselves as probably more of a boutique distributor, although we've got a lot of new programming coming through at this time of year. So um, I think we've got a lot to add to what the majors are doing on the the following days. I think um, ourselves and Hattrick are on the Tuesday. I don't know, Paul, when you're going to be there, but I think, you know, the the goods, the spread of programming that's on offer to buyers is going to be very attractive. Yeah, I think it's no longer a dress rehearsal, is it? That's why I've... Um... That's what I've been saying to myself. You know, last MIPCOM was a tentative sort of um, toe in the water and then it got sort of back again. But this one is now um, all bets are off. So, uh, yeah, Tuesday evening, we're having a big social thing at the IP Club, which we did before in previous guises, TCB and previously Cineflix. So we did those and we just thought we will um, grab that opportunity. Because, you know, I, though we have a slate, I want it to be an event as much as it is about selling programs. I'm just trying to capitalise on the fact that this is a big event uh, and it's London. It's a showcase for London as well, just to show that um, the city's woken up and the country's woken up. So, um, yes, and it feels like it's about slates now as well, not about pushing your catalogue. It feels like everyone now, now is not trying to time something for twice a year, you know, MIP and MIPCOM. Things have changed now. It's about launching your slate. And then you just add to that as it goes on. So the demands have changed, haven't they? But we can talk about that later on. I, th- I think it's an interesting point, actually. We found that. we Previously, when we'd looked at this time of year, we, we didn't have anything ready to show. And then with the lack of um, market timing benchmarks, we seem to have just been ongoing, working with producers who are producing at different times of the year, ongoing. And so we've suddenly found ourselves with a much bigger slate than we thought. You mentioned MIP there. Obviously, the, the the London screenings has kind of been building up over the years, initially around uh, the BBC showcase um, taking place in Liverpool. But also, as well, I suppose, distributors have been questioning the value of having uh, MIP in April and MIPCOM in October. So uh, the bigger distributors took the decision to kind of put more of their emphasis for themselves around the London screenings. Do you feel that's still going to be the case do you think the two things can coexist moving forwards because people are obviously still keen particularly now having been locked down after a past couple of years you know to perhaps get back overseas and go to can yeah we we went to mipcom which was interesting um it was much more villagey than we'd predicted but it, it was interesting. I think MIP is still going to be on a slightly smaller scale. But there are a lot of people who certainly, as we've been talking about with Australia, being able to travel. I think it is widening out. But it's, it's going to be a lot of Europeans as well. So we're attending both. I don't know about the others. I think Reed Medium have, have um, somehow managed to pull a blinder without really realising it. You know, they've managed to, um, I think early April is going to be the prime time when everyone suddenly will be travelling. So uh, London screenings might just come a little bit too soon for some people to get on planes again, whereas April uh, should be OK. So I think they've uh, Reed Medium may have managed to, if they can handle it properly, they may have managed to have done themselves a favour and still end up with two events across the year. Whereas before COVID, we were talking about MIPP was on its knees and just about to die now it actually might end up having a you know a new lease of life that's what i sort 
sort of thing because it's too long to wait until October and everything else feels a little bit half-baked between now and then. And I think the industry needs to get together again. We actually are not going down that road. So we are HTI, we are doing the London screenings and then we are not doing MIP in April. We'll do NAPI and Budapest in June and we'll do, um, and obviously NAPI US real screen if they take place in June and then we'll do MIPCOM in October but we're going to use the time in March, April, May, June to do sales trips directly to individual territories rather than spending the money on a big market. As Paul says it's a it's a really interesting inflection point isn't it in terms of how the pandemic is kind of progressing or hopefully receding and, and how that's going to kind of change people's travel plans and so on. Um, but I mean this, this past couple of years has obviously been challenging in, in so many ways uh, there's a financial consideration for all companies looking to embark upon all of these events. But um, as well, you know, how do you feel that you've sort of been able to navigate in terms of sales through conducting meetings virtually versus doing them physically? Have you been able to kind of recoup lost revenues, increase revenues, you know, and, and how is that dynamic between virtual meetings and physical meetings going to, uh, you know, evolve moving forwards? I think it's been fine for us and I think for for as far as I'm aware for most companies they've you know you've had to adapt because nobody's been able to travel you've you've had to rely on having phone calls and zoom meetings because there's not been any alternative so for us HDI had we had our second best year ever last year so we we certainly didn't lose income over covid we were very lucky with the productions that we had um coming through um, I think how how we work with travel and Zoom going forward, I think we'll continue to do, you know, we've all had to adapt to Zoom. I mean, none of us have heard of it before and now we do it all the, all the time. So I think we'll still do all those Zoom meetings because they're quick and they're easy and that's good for both parties. But I think we absolutely, as salespeople, love being face-to-face, physically face-to-face rather than virtually, um, with our buyers. So it'll be a a combination of both. I think it has been very convenient for a lot of people. And the fact you can have a group meeting where everybody can be enfranchised in both companies has been really helpful. But at the same time, we, we had a bit of a boom in acquisition just before the COVID. So we were quite lucky that we had goods programming coming through. And and I think it's coincided with the acceleration of the digital platforms. And so there's been a huge digital demand at the same time as we've all been locked down. So it's meant that, you know, new programming, high profile cut through programming, but also library has been selling very well during the period. I don't know if that's the same for yeah, you. I think so. Well, I think, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know any different since launching Boston Over. So um, uh, this is the situation I was dealt with at the beginning. So I, I just found that, um, yeah, you definitely need a combination and the, you just get those extra bells and whistles to a face-to-face that we all know that you do. So it's funny that you just get that extra bit of creativity. It just adds another few dimensions. So and I'm, I'm sure whoever does listen to this is saying, please don't talk about COVID anymore. We're, we're fed up with it. But I do think the pace of business, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing because we did our development day in January, only a few weeks ago, actually. And that that really, really uh, helped 
accelerate the pace of business at the start of the year. And I felt the start of the year is normally where in previous times it's sort of there's a week and then it just goes off like a like a firework. And I felt that not just because of our own thing that we did our development day, but I think the industry has taken off like a, a firework again properly. And that's what we've all needed. Whereas before I felt it was sort of traveling, but not traveling that fast. Now I feel it's properly getting going. And I think um, we've got to be ready now to do face to face travel and everything else all in conjunction i think you're right zoom plus phone calls plus face-to-face meetings is going to get everything moving because it's the only way to do it we can't do one in isolation but interesting what you said though sarah about about mip and everything yeah you, you could be right you know doing the sales trips as well is going to be really useful so let's see so yeah maybe our little cubby hole that we've bought at um mip tv is going to be a total waste of money we'll see <laughs> let's talk about the uh, demand for uk content on the global stage then i mean the most recent report that came out from from Pact suggested that yeah there was a slight dip inevitably during the pandemic I guess although you're talking about a boom in, in sales there was still a production hiatus which has had a, a ripple effect across the business Sarah you were saying that last year was your your best year though so um, do you feel that UK content is is surging again and uh, it's going to reach new heights Paul as you're suggesting yeah you know I hope it is I think from certainly from what the three of us are saying with the content that we've got coming through we're envisaging a really a really good year a better year this year than last year even the UK content that you think is too to use one of my favorite words bucolic or parochial <laughs> Um, it still works and you know and um, and I think um, the buyers that are now thinking like streamers that are linear channels supposedly are where everyone is thinking in the same way and if there is something that continues to be renewed and it was a fairly bucolic parochial show it's still managing to sell you know volume wise so I think despite the fact we are in a new world where the streamers are sort of having an influence over this type of programming that everyone is buying into, you know, the, the two silos of one to four parts or one to six part shows and then returning series. I think um, the UK producers are having, I've got that brilliant combination of creativity and commerce, uh, which a lot of other in, a lot of other indie communities maybe don't have as much of. So they're, they're taking a bit of a, a march on other nations, maybe in terms of how well they've been able to, they're so resourceful as we know, UK producers, they're able to make it work. And I think um, they've not really taken a backward step, the UK indies. So it, we're, um, as distributors, we're sort of happy to ride that wave, aren't we, I think? Yeah, I think they've even been managing to produce well in lockdown, actually. Mm. I think, you know, the ingenuity has been extraordinary. You know, we've had series where they've, you know, sent not camera crews, but equipment and got stringers locally to film and still managed to get all the footage they need for a new series. Uh, and Blue Chip Factual is is always done well out of the UK and we're well known for it, as well as the drama and cookery, travel, music, all of those genres have all been doing well for us. What about the the way in which the business has been changing as a result of the growth of the US streamers and the studio-led US streamers increasingly warehousing content that they would have previously sold to third parties? Has that opened opportunities for distributors like yourselves? Yeah, I think there's huge opportunity with the new streamers. I, I think um, the difficulty for producers is retaining enough of their rights to keep a successful investment model going so that they do own some rights and they do get ancillary income. But, but I think, um, you know, the fact we've got BritBox starting here, we've got Netflix, you know, aggressively looking for UK programming. We've got Acorn TV, we've got STV. There's, there's um, in the UK, but really as well in America and internationally, that there's, um, there seems to be a broad choice of, you know, which way you go with the program in order to serve 
um, the producer best, really, and get your investment back as fast as you can. You know, there's a lot more choice than there ever was as to how to sell a program. Much more complicated and much more rights intensive where you've got to be very careful with your windows and your crossover and territories. You know, the data storage is much more important than it ever used to be having a, an accurate rights system so that you can really sell program effectively. Paul or, or, or Sarah, did you have anything to add to that? And, and I'm also thinking of the broadcasters as well that you work with out there, not, not just sort of selling programs to, to streamers and working with streamers, um, but also the fact that some of those streamers are holding on to content, which means that, you know, the broadcasters that would have acquired US content before perhaps are now looking to replace that with content from elsewhere. I think broadcasters are, you know, US content has in some territories and for some channels has been on the wane over the last few years but I think the overall in most territories it would be fair to say that local content is what is increasingly what all broadcasters all platforms are wanting you know from the streamers who are kind of whose mantra is broadly local for local so if you look in most territories what the top rating shows in those territories are it is local content so for acquisitions to get through it does need to be high quality it's got to be stand out it's got to be different and I think from British producers on the whole there is a lot of high quality standout content coming through yeah that's right I think and I'm looking at what we had on development day last year to this year, the difference is that um, is that level of noise, as people call it in inverted commas, you know, is there something that will cut through? And it makes you realize that what distributors maybe used to sell or get away with selling was, to be fair to it, was fodder, wasn't it? It was just sort of, you know, stuff that would just fill in the gaps. And I think there's no room for that anymore now. And, and uh, the streamers are doing that. And all the streamers are now all after a similar, they're all after a similar area, this strange and fiction area, whether it's in scripted or unscripted. There's this area that people have called true crime, but it's now morphed into something else. Um, and I think um, people don't want anything that will just sit and do a job. They just want shows that have proper grunt, you know, that will actually, deliver um, an audience and whether or not they tell us what that audience is whether the algorithms get shared with us I don't know but it feels that they're all um, they all after that level of noise and sometimes you know for these UK producers can they make that show for the budget I don't know but all I can see is now um, it's not necessarily about a returning franchise it is can we actually get something in there that's going to drive an audience and make some headlines so that that feels like a subtle change but you know we're, we're looking at the very sort of surface and maybe deep down things haven't changed that much maybe we're overthinking it sometimes I don't no, because you can't second guess this market that easily, I think. According to the pact statistics, um, streamers made up almost half of the sales or the exports of, of UK programming. Is that something you're finding across your businesses as well? Is that um, balance of, of buyers that you're dealing with changing at all? Or is it is it the streamers that are making up half the business, the broadcasters, the rest? How is it working? No. I would say no, it's not. It is changing. It's definitely changing. Um, so we are seeing streamers increasing their percentage of our total income, definitely, as are AVOD and, you know, the the whole VOD market from AVOD right through to, uh, you know, the, the big SVOD players. That is definitely increasing and it's becoming more and more important. But no, our, from an HDI point of view, our partnerships, our, you know, our, our business with, 
traditional linear broadcasters is our biggest income and it's hugely important to us not to say that we don't do a lot of deals with the likes of you know Britbox and Acorn and Netflix and Amazon we do but it's it's not the majority of what we do I think for us a lot of our um, business in America comes from streamers particularly the you know the the mid-level SVODs as well as the higher level level SVODs but in the UK and Europe we're still very much dealing with broadcasters you know, those are long-term relationships. They're as important to us as the streamers. And I think we've got a, more of a mix than we ever used to and more layers of exploitation than we ever used to that, that can benefit our producer clients. So I think the market has changed enormously in the last two years, actually. That's a good point, actually, Nikki. It's, I would say I would, I'm going to change my answer, actually. <laughs> and in the U.S., Definitely in the US, the mm. more than half of our business is from the SVOD and, and the just VOD in general. But for the rest of the world, it's absolutely not 50%. No, no, not at all. It's a small percentage for us. We're unscripted as well as you guys are, uh, are in other genre. I think, um, and everyone everyone now is a streamer really as well. It's, it's probably wrong to say yeah. that there's linears and streamers. They're all the same. Mm. We're all on the same platform. Yeah, you've got Paramount Plus coming along and Netflix and they're all, they're all starting to work together because because also they can't necessarily finance a lot of these projects that they really want on their own. So it's becoming more collaborative. But as, as uh, Nikki said earlier, it's about clever rights management now, more than ever. And it always has been, but it's ratcheting up each year that you've got mm. to be um, very, very clever. And also, um, what door can you push that will open in terms of rights negotiation? Because... There were certain no-nos maybe a few years ago that now people will accept in terms of non-exclusivity or windows or length or exclusive, you know, all the other all the other things that go with it. But yeah, it's a matrix that is constantly sort of enlarging, you know, in every direction in terms of how many variables you can have to negotiate with. So you know, it means that lawyers are uh, earning quite decent money in our business, aren't they? Yeah, I think the legal department is very stressed right now. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and the sales salespeople are keeping on their toes. Yeah. Absolutely. How are you seeing those those deal structures changing? Um, you're putting in finance as a distributor more and more. Is that the the, the kind of the case? Your co-production funding. The broadcasters are, and you know, whoever the commissioners are not fully funded. Very rarely are fully funding something, or you know, giving the producers enough money to make something as good as they into the quality that those producers want to make that content. So distributors more and more. I mean, Paul, your model's different from ours, but the distributors Distributors are, we are always putting money into not everything, but most a lot of the things that we are doing, whether it's at development stage or at pre production. Yeah, we're not that different. We're all doing the same thing, I think, to be honest with you now. Yeah, I, mean, we're I think all, we are. Yeah, we are. We, are you we, not we, commissioning we stuff directly, though, as a distributor? I suppose, I suppose, yeah, yeah small c. But, you know, um, considering the budgets that we're working with, but I think, um, you know, it is commissioning now. We've learned, you know, as far as Boston Overs goes, we've learned a lot from how we were doing this three years ago when Q had just taken over TCB. And some of the some of the maybe square pegs into round holes that I was doing then in an effort to try and hit the, the targets that were set at the time. So now I think it's a lot more measured and a lot more square pegs, square holes in terms of who's going to make the sort of project that you want to sell. You know, and I think that is um, lesson well learned. You know, and that's I think um, we're all going to make mistakes in this new world of yeah financing because the broadcasters are now thinking, hang on a second, we can use that. That I mean, you can see that in the UK, can't we? We know terrestrial broadcasters are looking and saying, hang on, we don't need to use all of our commissioning budget for this amount of hours of programming. If we were clever, we can maybe make that spread a little bit thinner 
uh, across more projects and let's get a few um let's get a few potentially gullible distributors out there to put a bit too much money into some projects so i think um you know we've got to be careful that we like the attention as distributors that we are we're sitting at a table now with the actual big um commissioners which is great it's lovely but we've got to be careful that we're not going to get carried away um because we all like to have big shiny new projects but we also want to keep our investment pot, you know, reasonably intact, don't we? And I think um, it's all very well having plenty of projects, but we've got to make sure these deliver returns. So I think I've certainly learned from the last, you know, from maybe 2017, 18, 19 of what looks like a good investment and what isn't. But, you know, you never know. You're going to make mistakes. That's the other thing, um, Jonathan, in all of this is that with this so-called, you know, the platforms... Um, whether they're linear or streamers, they can afford to make a few mistakes. Now, as distributors, what is what do we want to do? You know, do we want to do? We, I, I sort of think we're going to be right sixty-five percent or seventy percent of the time. So that means that 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 sixty-five or seventy has to massively over-deliver on sales for the thirty that you're going to get wrong. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I think I think it's it's tricky. So our investment models. So we will put money in. We've been increasingly co-producing and starting with a base sale, but more and more, as you say, if you can underwrite it with a third pre-sale, second pre-sale, just so that you've underwritten your investment. That's important. And because you're getting involved earlier and you're getting involved in the get-go, you have some time to do it. But I agree with you, Paul. I think we're all developing our investment models um, as we go along. But the last two years, again, there's been an escalation in co-production, I think, in that way, or the pre-sales financing model, where we put money in, we use a pre-sale to underwrite part of the budget, and then maybe go and pre-sell as we go along against our investment. Uh, you mentioned BritBox a couple of times. How's that sort of shaking up the UK market and uh, the demand and availability of, of UK programming? Well, I think they're coming on board at certainly with ITV commissions right from the from the start, which obviously takes the UK secondary sale away from the from the distributor, which is a huge loss. But from an acquisitions point of view, when we're selling content in from from non ITV content. Um, I wouldn't say they were shaking it up um, from that side of it. They're just another buyer for us to sell to. The main point is that they are coming on board as a UK secondary partner for a lot of ITV commissions, which is which is good because that helps the budget. But it obviously is not such fun for the distributor because we don't have the UK secondary rights to sell. But also, you know, they are commissioning a lot of content. Well, not a lot, but they are commissioning content as well, which is which is only a good thing. Yeah, I think it's a bit early on BritBox. I mean, for us, we're dealing with them in the UK and the US. And I know they're moving into Scandinavia and, you know, expanding from there. But I, I think um, for us, I, I know Sarah with Hattrick, you obviously um, have a lot of in-house production directly with the UK broadcasters so it probably affects you a lot more than us so we're, we're finding as you said that they're just another customer for us uh, they will come in I mean I noticed that they're doing more commissioning originals um, so for from the production point of view that's great news so I think it will develop over the next year and a half or so and we'll really see what the shape of that is across the international market. Yeah, I mean, they are buying for in Australia, in the Nordics, in, in Benelux and, and in Africa now as well. So it is, you know, they are a good new client to have. It is interesting that they're not, not always, but on the whole, they're not buying in a joined up way. So you are dealing with all the different acquisitions teams which is interesting. And um, sort of territorially, have you seen any 
markets sort of opening up over the past couple of years for UK content that perhaps have, have not been such bigger buyers in the past? It's, it's a question that we're often asked as distributors is, you know, what, what which international territories are are growing and which ones are we doing more in and i don't i don't really ever have an answer for that because you know i'm sure all of us all sell not to everywhere because there are some countries that you know just are impossible or just too much too much hard work to get anywhere with but it's so no i mean it's you know it's it's all still the usual suspects in terms of countries that you're dealing with and that we're selling to but it's there are new players in all of those territories that we just need to keep on top of i don't think there's any new territory that i can think oh my god it's like completely exploded in poland that's never happened before tends to uh yeah doesn't it tend to be a certain project or series that just takes, uh, it sort of like um, catches a light in a certain region? And that can sometimes skew your view then of a, of a particular area. But, you know, there, there are either this, that there are established markets and there are emerging markets. And those emerging markets are sort of, some of them are partly established and some of them are sort of partly emerging. But, yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no way we can say, oh, my God, yeah, look. We have to identify this territory. This is the one. There isn't. It's just um, it's almost easier to say this type of project, this type of show works well in these regions. You know, it's difficult to be so blanket otherwise. Yeah, I think that's that's a good view of it. I, I thought it was interesting the territories that Disney's opening into. You know, that they're they're very much looking at the further reaches, which I guess with Disney programming one can do that. And uh, I think India is getting a bit more interesting with format production and streamers over there and Asia potentially, but, but really nothing specific in the last two years has gone on a steep climb for us either, I don't think. It wouldn't be fair not to let you mention some of your shows, obviously, that you've got coming up at the, the screenings. So um, perhaps you, each of you could pick out like two or three that are headlining your, your slates and, and why you feel that those shows are the right ones to present to the market right now. Well, we're headlining with D.I. Ray, which is a new drama we have from HTM for ITV, which is starring Parminder Nagra. So we're doing a Q&A at our session with Jed Mercurio, who's the exec producer and the writer and producer of that drama. And then we're also highlighting a few, two new formats that we're launching at the market and some new factual shows I think um, we're doing a lot of blue chip factual with Bethany Hughes at the moment. So we've uh, we've got a new series with her. We're working. We've got a new um, transactional feel good series which we're launching, which I'm not going to tell you about. Um, we've got four or five new dramas. Um, one of which we announced production is commencing in March, which is another series of My Life Is Murder with Lucy Lawless, which is a co-production with Acorn TV. We've got another series of Secret She Keeps in production, and we're showcasing three other dramas. So I'm, I'm sitting at a slightly smaller table, aren't I, in the unscripted world here? But no, I'm um, no. We've, we've got a lot of. Um, I suppose our Boston Originals are coming through. Uh, so the first of those will be coming through, which is uh, Secrets of the Lost Liners, six-part series, which is ATN in the UK and SBS Australia uh, so far. Um, and Extreme Tow Truckers. You know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, from the um, 
in terms of the genres that are getting involved with. Extreme Tow Truckers uh, coming out of Australia, which is uh, Seven Mate and Prozeban and Viasat. And that's uh, season one and two at the same time. Uh, then Caught on Dashcam, which Sky have just recommissioned uh, season three of, uh, which was a perennial for me before. So I'm pleased to have that now back on, sort of re-emerged as a series. Uh, a new series with CBS Reality, which we've done as sort of parts Bosno original and part with CBS with Sam Rowden, Murder First on the Scene with Phoenix. Um, and I'm hoping that will that will go into more series done really well, rating-wise. And uh, Cold Case Killers with Channel 5. Uh, that's season one. That's rare TV like those guys a lot. Uh, a big sex series, actually, which, you know, as an Irish Catholic, it's very hard for me to talk about a sex series, on, especially on a podcast. But here I am. Who'd have thought that? But it's a <laughs> sex magazine series come out of uh, Canada. Um the, the big sex talk, which I'm looking forward to uh, seeing the reaction. I know it's a fairly niche one, but very, very high budget levels. And then, uh, yeah, it's Hindenburg, the cover-up. I'm trying to get some big sort of picture doc, uh, shorter run factual as well. That's a big, big one that we're looking forward to seeing a reaction on. Uh, Decades that defined us, an archive series uh, through Like a Shot, working with them again, which is good. And then our friends at CJZ and Greenstone with the sort of the engine room of Boston Over, which is the dog patrols, motorway patrol, highway cops, puppy school, all having renewed series. So, yeah, we're going off like a like a train this year. So let's see how it goes. But there's two or three shows I can't announce yet uh, because they're Channel 4 and ITV premieres. So they're going to have to wait until um, lucky old MIP TV gets going, I hope. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, well, thanks very much, all. Just, you know, as a, as a kind of final thought, you know, how do you feel that the industry as a whole in terms of sort of getting back to where it was pre-COVID? Obviously, the virus is still around, but how, how do you feel that uh, the business is recovering? Oh, it's, it's full on. It's absolutely full on. I think I, I bet you Nikki and Sarah are both hiring, because we are. I think everyone's hiring. Whether, whether or not they, they shedded staff before, they said everyone looked, everyone's looking to hire, which is a really good sign. Um, so I think um, that is always an indicator that this market is bouncing along now. And, you know, being in the middle of Soho, I can just tell it is anyway. So uh, that's my two pence. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of more of the same but different. Um, I think everybody knows each other a lot better having spent a lot of time on Zoom in each other's houses. So I think there's a lot more collegiate spirit about it right now in general, um, but the business is growing. Yeah, we are very, very busy, which is which is fantastic. And I think the, the market is absolutely raring to get going as well. So I think it's hopefully with the London screenings, it's the excuse everybody needs to travel and get back to the new normal. Nikki Davies-Williams, Sarah Tong and Paul Heaney speaking with me ahead of the 2022 London screenings. You can hear more discussion about the event throughout next week by tuning into our C21 FM internet radio station. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 